This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hello there, everyone out in the galaxy listening live or listening later. We are from a certain point of view. This is episode 42. I am Josh. I am Adam. And we are really excited about today's show. We already have quite a crew hanging out in the live chat right now. We are discussing Return of the Jedi today, plus Star Wars news. Um, And... First up is, what have we been watching and playing this week? So, Adam, I'll I'll defer to you on this one. Uh, I only actually just watched a little bit of Jedi this week. Um, But watching, I've been, I started re-watching Parks and Recreation, which is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite comedy series. Uh, And uh, so I'm on season two of that. Um, My wife and I have been watching King of Queens, which is just hilarious. It's a Kevin James sitcom from years ago um but you know other than that that's probably about all i've really been watching this week what about you yeah i haven't been watching a a lot of star wars i i do want to go back into the mandalorian again to to look at the character of uh cara dune um you know we we have a discussion coming up about that character with with uh force of light i believe yes we Um, do yeah, so tomorrow actually. To, yeah, yeah. Today yes. if you're listening to the podcast. Right. When it when it comes um, out. If you're listening to it later then you missed it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been pretty busy with uh getting some house projects done and everything. So I haven't been watching a whole lot other than Ozark. Um almost done with season 2 and looking forward to season 3, which is the the latest season. Um but of course watch some Return of the Jedi last night um and then Brittany and i watched uh hamilton again which okay i can't, nice. get, a, I can't get enough of yeah i had uh, I, I had watched it up to the first um intermission like two weeks ago i think and then mm-hmm. friday i picked it up and, and finished the the second intermission so yeah i think i i think i've listened to and watched the first act like so many times and like i but i would always stopped right there and, and didn't get to the second act as many times as the first, you know, just because um, it's, it's lengthy. You, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I've, I mean, it's not an easy, like, I mean, you, you get three hours that you're sitting aside there for that. Right. Right. So the, the second act didn't get as much love from me initially. Um, but, you know, going back and, and watching that again and listening again to the second act and everything, I'm starting to pull out some of the, some of the songs from that second act as well. Um, so yeah, Hamilton, I mean, there's just, some, there's some really great. Check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. But there's some really mm-hmm. great songs that second half. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but back to Star Wars, we had our weekly poll this week, which asked the question, were you aware of the big twist in the Empire Strikes Back before you saw it for the first time? Um, so obviously spoiler warning for anybody who hasn't seen the empire strikes back. 
Um, <laughs> hopefully there's not too many of you listening that haven't seen it. Um, so for me, I actually was aware of the twist, um, even, even back when I was in fifth grade and I watched it for the first time. You know, like, I, I just somehow knew that, that Vader was Luke's father. Um, and, and I don't know if, you know, just it was hard to avoid it, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, um, Star Wars had been on TV probably around that time and stuff, and maybe I just saw it or there was something on TV or something like that. But um, yeah, so I wasn't surprised by the twist because I knew about it. But I was really curious to see um, how many people out there knew about it beforehand or, or didn't know about it. They were really surprised and shocked the first time they, they watched the film. So we had 30% who were aware of the twist before they saw it for the first time, and 70% um, were not aware of, of the twist um, the first time they, they saw it. So they were surprised, I'm sure. Um, so what about you, Adam? I don't remember. <laughs> it was so Fair long enough. ago. I was so young, I have no idea. I, I'm guessing that that means I probably did not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I really don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, if you saw it at a, at a young age, it might be hard to remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just kind of is interesting to me because if, if I could go back with fresh eyes and watch it for the first time, like without knowing anything, like that would be so cool, you know? If, oh, yeah. I, I would mean, love to do that now, you know, yeah. now that I can remember it, you know, I would. Uh, right. Right. This is, I've told this story before, but my dad showed these to me when I was really young and, you know, I just mm-hmm. fell in love, obviously, uh, doing a podcast 30 years later. But um, so I'm pretty sure I didn't know, but I would love, like you said, to be able to to go back and like wipe that part of my memory and yeah, watch the yeah, whole thing over again. Yeah. For the first time again. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm still ho- I'm still hoping, holding out hope that I can keep Sydney away from that big spoiler. But. You know, it'll be tough. <laughs> it will uh, be. Will be. Yeah, it'd be cool if she could see it the first time and not know that. But I mean, she can be uh, watching anything, and it, you know that that'll come off. Yeah, because you know? it's referenced so many times in popular culture and, and everything. Yeah. You know, that's, right. it's hard to avoid that one. Um, but yeah, just a, a question I was interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Adam, you're going to tell us what's coming up on today's show. Uh, we got news. There's uh, a little, eh, about four topics that we're going to cover here. Uh, and then Return of the Jedi. Thank the maker. We're rounding out the original trilogy today. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've said it before, Jedi is my favorite. So I'm ready to jump into this one. Can't argue with that. Return of the Jedi, you know, I think I like it more and more every time I see it. So definitely, at, le- at the very least, my second favorite. Nice. All right, let's get that news out of the way. Well, you want the bad news or the really bad news? I was very excited about this uh, first piece <laughs> of news when I heard about it. I'm going yeah. to be honest. I, I'm probably most excited about this than any of the other news this week, actually. Um, because we have the return of the Star Wars holiday special. It's back, um, everyone. It's back. Uh, John Favreau, we knew, was pushing for I, this. I'm, I'm wondering what role he played in this because yeah. um, he's I all about the holiday it. special. I've never seen the original holiday special. 
I haven't either. I'm just excited. <laughs> so I was thinking about maybe we'll have to you and maybe you and me will have to figure out how we'll we can watch that with watch. the pod for the podcast and watch the holiday special. Yeah, it's got to be on YouTube and and everything. So we'll oh, figure yeah. out a way to do yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so this isn't the same type of holiday special. This time it's hopefully the Lego it's edition. Yeah. yeah, hopefully it's better. <laughs> uh, but we got lego star wars edition of the holiday special so um it says it's the most wonderful time of the year on kashik and, and lego star wars fans are invited to journey back to chewbacca's home world for a wookie size celebration of the galaxy's most cheerful and magical holiday life day um so this november november 17th on disney plus um we'll see ray finn poe chewy rose and all your favorite droids reuniting um, for a joyous fest feast on life day. Um, so yeah, we're going to, and I guess, um, if you read further in this article, um, it's set after the events of the rise of Skywalker. So that's kind of interesting and, and yeah. how it might be connected to the, the canon and everything. Um, mm-hmm. and Ray leaves her friends to prepare for life day and finds herself, um, in a mysterious Jedi temple and a cross timeline adventure through different moments in Star Wars history, <clears throat> coming into contact with Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and other iconic heroes and villains from all nine Skywalker saga films. So I think that's very exciting that we're going to see Rey. I mean, because Rey in Rise of Skywalker had this connection to all the Jedi before her and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, and, and, and them being with her um, and everything. So it'll be interesting to see her get to meet um, these former Jedi. So... Yeah. Indeed. Anything to add to our this big news of the week here? No, looking forward to it. Always good to see new content, especially Lego content. It's always good for the family and definitely. Um, you know, I, I always enjoy the Lego Star Wars stuff. I think it's it's very well done and um even has some great com comedy in it as well. And um so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Um, next up, we have uh, video game news. Um, we have received new new details on Visceral's canceled Star Wars game. Um, so three years ago, um, it was announced that this game would be canceled and, and Visceral would be shut down, basically. Um, and it was it was really disappointing because it seemed like this was going to be the next at the time, the next Star Wars single player, um, you know, story based game basically. And luckily we ended up getting Fallen Order, which um, maybe kind of took the place of this game. But um, we were supposed to get a a character that was somewhat, I guess, um, sort of like a um, Star-Lord, Robin Hood and Star-Lord combined type character, maybe a Han Solo type of character in this. Um, But there was an interview uh, conducted with the, um, with Zach Mumba, a Mombach, maybe? Um, yeah, I who's, think. Who's the game's producer. Mm-hmm. And um, there's some interesting, a couple interesting quotes I, I pulled out of here. He had said in the interview that we, we had a lot of gameplay that people never got to see. We had levels. They weren't done, but they were close. We had one set piece, which was basically done, um, putting the final touches on it right when the studio shut down. And I guess there was this crazy ATST moment 
um, where you were on foot running from it and it was trying to hunt you down, but you were more agile, slipping through alleyways, barreling through and crashing and using all um, the destruction of frostbite. Um, you would have been like, oh, that's like Star Wars Uncharted. Um, so, you know, I was very excited about this game at the time because I love the Uncharted series and I would have loved to have like a Star Wars version of that. But I do feel like um, Jedi Fallen Order kind of captured some of that as well. So um, what were your thoughts on these details about that canceled game? Still, it's still a shame we didn't get this. This game was uh, yeah. sounded so, so good. Uh, and then you mentioned Uncharted. It was actually being directed by Amy Hennig, who directed those yes. Uncharted, the first, the first three Uncharted games. Uh, which, if you're unfamiliar with that, was an Indiana Jones style game. Um, you know, kind of going through these, you know, forgotten realms and and you know places like that. So, uh, would have been very interesting to see. I'm glad we got Fallen Order, uh, but you know, it, it, it stinks that this didn't happen just because EA kind of had to shutter or just shuttered the studio. So, um, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, would have really liked to have seen that. And maybe, you know, maybe this is one of those things where good, good ideas never die. So hopefully we'll maybe see this in some, some form, you know, uh, uh, Dale in chat says he wonders if this one, uh, oh, the new, I think he's talking about the Lego animated, yeah, uh, Mandalorian cartoon. But I mean, it, it could come back in some type of, you know, cart, you know, I don't want animated series or comic book mm-hmm. or something like that. So I'd still yeah, like to yeah, see this story get told somehow. So for sure. And um, you ready to move on to the next one? Yeah. Okay, and in the world of uh, books and comics, coming January 5th, 2021, um, Justina Ireland's A Test of Courage uh, is one of the tentpole releases in Star Wars High Republic publishing epic, and we got an excerpt um, from A Test of Courage, which is, I guess, sort of a a middle grade uh, level novel, so it's, you know, for kids and everything. Um, But basically... um, the details about this one is the novel follows a ragtag group of young adventurers, newly minted teen Jedi, Vernestra Rowe, maybe, um, a young <laughs> yeah. Padawan, um, audacious tech kid, Avon Staros, and the son of an ambassador. After a galaxy-wide disaster leaves them stranded on a jungle moon. Um, so this, this could be really interesting. I'm really excited about the High Republic because I think we're stepping into kind of this new world in star Wars where you can, like, I, sometimes I feel like picking up novels now, like even starting to read Thrawn, like we talked about before, there's so much that's already out there with this. It's like, you're starting fresh. Like I can read all, I'm very excited to read all the books in, in the high Republic era and just starting fresh on this, in this new era of storytelling. Um, So did you get a chance to read this excerpt? No, I didn't read this one either. Uh, I just, I just don't want to read the the excerpts. I just want to jump in when it comes yeah. out. Um, yeah. But yeah, piggybacking off what you said, I am, I'm buying everything High Republic. I'm jumping yeah. in, mm-hmm. uh, full uh, full force, no pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. Comics, uh, the younger books like this, yep, YA, adult novels, I'm all of it. So yeah. 
it was a I, I still think high republic is a wonderful idea uh because it's it, you know it, it gives everyone a starting point uh it doesn't matter what right. you've read or seen before you, you can jump in here so you know, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure I'm there'll be little Easter excited. eggs and things like for people that have kept up with everything, you know, uh, I'm sure there'll be little references that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to say, oh, God, that's cool. I know what that's from. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's a great idea for, you know, just just a starting point for everyone else. So, yep, I agree. And I am looking forward to, to 2021 January it will begin. So, yep. um, and I just like that they're all connected to this kind of event that's happening in, yeah, in the right, galaxy right. And, and everything. And I, and I did read the excerpt and, and I enjoyed what I read so far. Um, but, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Indeed. And we, ha- we had one more uh, piece of news coming out of books and comics. And this is, we, we, re- we got the final book title uh, for the alphabet squadron. Um, the final part of that, trilogy right i mean i yeah, think it's trilogy yep. tended to be a trilogy yep. and it is uh victory's price um so yeah any thoughts on getting that title reveal uh not so much at the title uh but um i'm excited it's a beautiful cover. We got to look at the cover mm-hmm. too uh with uh, i believe it's Will Lark on the cover uh looking a little a uh, little uh Little scraggly, nice looking, nice looking beard there. Uh, he's got his yeah. COVID beard going, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, really excited about that. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and read the excerpt or description real quick, mm-hmm. um, and be careful if you haven't, like I haven't finished uh, <laughs> Shadow Wing yet. Uh, so you know there might be a little bit minor spoilers here if you haven't either. Okay. Uh, in the wake of Yerka Quell's shocking decision and one of the fiercest battles of their lives, the remnants of Alphabet Squadron seek answers and closure across a galaxy whose old war scars are threatening to reopen. Soren Keys has returned to the tip of Shadow Wing Spear, Operation Cinder, the terrifying protocol of planetary extermination which began in the twilight of the Imperial Era burns throughout the galaxy. Shadow Wing is no longer wounded prey fleeing the hunters of the New Republic. With its leader, its strength has returned, and its Star Star Destroyers and TIE Squadrons lurk in the darkness between stars, carrying out the Fallen Emperor's final edict of destruction, as well as another stranger mission one Keys has championed, not for the Dying Empire, but for its loyal soldiers. Alphabet Squadron's ships are as ramshackle and damaged as their spirits, but they've always had each other. Now... As they face the might of Kiza's reborn juggernaut, they aren't even sure they have that. How do you catch a shadow? How do you kill it? And when you're finally victorious, who pays the price? Good yeah, stuff. I think I'm. I think I'm most interested in in getting into this series. This is going to be what I read next. Um, is the Alphabet Squadron series? And I'm really interested in the whole Operation Cinder aspect of it and how it connects um, back to that and everything. You know, I, I was I was thinking about operation cinder a little bit and just i was thinking about the emperor and you know like i'm not maybe they will do this eventually but like why not have a novel um or a story of some type about you know kind of operation cinder and the emperor and how he survived and how he came back and 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 I, i think that would be 
really interesting. Um, it would be about a major character and, and dig into those de- some of those details that we may be missing from from the films. Yeah, yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah, but but this seems like an interesting read as well. And yeah, um, yeah. and so this one comes out in March of two thousand twenty-one. Correct. Yeah. Correct. All right. So I'll have some time to to catch up then. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps it up for the news this week. And we are ready to once again thank the maker, Return of the Jedi. Thank the maker. This oil bath is going to feel so good. Okay. Uh, I once again have to throw out a little little shout out to J.W. Rinsler. I used uh, another one of his books, uh, conveniently titled Making of Return of the Jedi. Uh, so I spent this week with that book again. I used the Kindle edition because it's just fabulous with all the stuff that's in it. Uh, even some cool uh, unfinished shots, uh, you know, where you can hear like David Prowse speaking Vader's lines instead of James Earl Jones, stuff like that. So really cool stuff in that book. Uh, also listen to the cast and crew audio commentary. And uh, Josh, what did you check out this week? Um, I was watching the primarily the the commentary um, with the archival. I, I like listening to the archival commentary that has yeah. you know, v- various producers. Oops, directors. my bad. I thought uh, I was oh, moving my mic. Did you hear that tie fighter? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> <Gotta> watch it. <laughs> I was trying to mute my mic and hit the wrong button. But yeah, just that commentary. You know, has the actors, the producers, directors. Um, George Lucas, you know, um, even like Ralph McQuarrie, uh, you know, chimed in there a couple of times on, on this commentary. So, <clears throat> yeah. Nice. That's what I, yeah. So, uh, you know, between, between Empire and Jedi, I, uh, ILM was really looking for ways to become an independent entity, not really tied to the production of any single film, Star Wars especially. Uh, they wanted a permanent staff on hand, and they, and they wanted to find a way to start to bid on doing special effects for other studios. The first that they started working on was a Paramount and Disney actually co-production, which is kind of neat because it ties in later. Uh, Dragon Slayer was their was their first outside project, uh, and then they actually were very busy on a ton of other projects uh, concurrent with. Uh, especially filming this movie. Um, and then, you know, definitely as, as editing was going on, there were still other, uh, other projects happening as well. Uh, but also in the meantime, um, Gary Kurtz uh, was uh, left. Uh, you know, there were some disagreements between him and Lucas and some of the cast and things like that. During empire, we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, so he, he kind of knew that George didn't really want him back. And uh, so he, you know, sat down and talked with George and then uh, put in his resignation and, uh, and stepped out. Um, and you'll have to help me with Howard's last name here, but this is where Howard Kazanjian. For me. Yeah. Okay, great. Someone in check <laughs> and give me a phonetic if, if that's yeah. really off. Uh, but Kazanjian worked on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with with uh, Lucas, so he was brought on uh, to uh, produce um, Return of the Jedi. 
some early drafts, I, I thought some of this stuff was pretty cool. Uh, but we, uh, we were uh, going to visit the Imperial home planet of Hadabaden, uh, which didn't end up happening, uh, which is also interesting because, you know, later that became Coruscant at the time. So it wasn't really Coruscant at the time, you know. Uh, we were going to get these these weird-looking creatures called Yusums, which were very tall and had to use actors and stilts. Uh, that idea was eventually scrapped, and mainly because it was going to be just too hard to film a 20-foot-tall Yusum with a 3-foot-tall Ewok. Kazanji and yeah, uh, RFB says. So, cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think... One of the things that was mentioned in the commentary I was listening to was about just how many creatures are included in Return of the Jedi, and yeah. um, you know, there's a lot from from Jabba's palace to, you know, of, of course, Endor with the Ewoks, and um, yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of creature new creatures in this film. And, yeah, and we're gonna yeah. talk about that later. The creatures were a major part of this of this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, the Choice of director uh, actually came down to a uh, Richard Markwand, which uh, Markwand, which we know, you know, ended up with this movie, and David Lynch. Uh, but Lucas actually first off- offered the job to David Lynch, uh, who was you know thrilled, but he turned it down after three days. Um. We talked last week about how we just mentioned this really quick, uh, but how George got into a little bit of a disagreement with the Directors Guild of America, the DGA. So they, uh, you know, one problem with David Lynch was he was a DGA member, so that was a little bit rough. Uh, David Lynch actually announced not too long after that he would be working on Dune, so you know that was going to be taking up a good bit of his time. Uh. So Mark Quinn got Mark Quinn got the job, and you know he was from England, so he's not part of the Directors Guild of America. So that was a plus. Uh, George and Howard were looking at some of his stuff that he did over there, and they really liked it. So that so they brought him on uh, to be the director here. Now Richard Markan, there, you know, as as production went on, filming went on. There were some conflicting stories about just how much Mark and he kind of quote unquote fit in to the Star Wars set. Irving Kirshner just kind of really melded with them. Um, then Mark Hamill seemed to get along pretty well with uh, with Richard. Carrie Fisher though seemed to have some problems with him. Uh, you know, she felt like she wasn't getting great direction out of him. Uh, some people thought that that might be because Richard had primarily come out of TV, uh, where Kirshner was very experienced in doing film. Uh, so, yeah, two very different mediums there. Yeah. Uh, one thing that got Richard and George Lucas kind of at odds every once in a while was that Lucas liked to shoot with multiple cameras uh, so that he, when it came time to edit, which, you know, we know that you know, George really puts these movies together in editing, you know, uh, he likes to have coverage from multiple cameras when it comes down to editing. Uh, Richard really didn't like to do that. He preferred to have everything planned out. And then there came times where it would, they, they would clash on adding extra cameras. You know, George would want a third or fourth camera Richard really wouldn't want to do that. Uh, and, and and part of the reason is kind of understandable. I mean, 
when you're filming these scenes, the more cameras you have, the more chance you have to film a camera, you know, so you get cameras yeah. in a shot of another camera and then, you know, that stuff isn't really usable. So some of it's understandable, but that really, really kind of uh, brought up a difference in directing, you know, between George and, and Richard. Sure. Now, uh, as far as writing goes, George didn't think that that uh, uh, Larry Kasdan would come back. Uh, he was already starting to direct some of his own stuff at this point, uh, but George kind of asked him as a personal favor, and uh, you know, Larry agreed to come on and, and do some writing for for Jedi. Uh, you mentioned Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually did a, a lot of sketches for Jedi, but he a, a few hundred. Uh, but he actually called it quits in the summer of '81. Uh, he, he he stepped away. He said he was you know somewhat burned out on Star Wars. He'd started working on this pretty consistently since you know even you know far before Star Wars ended up in production. You know he was doing sketches for Lucas and things like that. Uh, but then also it's it's kind of interesting because by the time 1981 rolls around, he is you know, pretty old, uh, pretty, not pretty old, but he's, he's older than the average ILM employee. So now he really felt like he didn't fit in or meld in with the crowd anymore. So, so he stepped away in the summer of 81, but he did later come back and finished up some stuff in post-production to help wrap things up. Uh, So he, you know, kind of stepped away from 81 till, till I I believe like the, uh, or, or, you know, winter or early spring of 83, he had stepped away. So, uh, and speaking of people that he didn't, that George didn't think would come back, uh, other than just uh, Larry Kasdan, uh, it's pretty well known that Harrison Ford, uh, you know, wasn't signed on for this movie, and George didn't believe he would come back, uh, which is one of the reasons why Empire ends the way it does with Han being frozen. You know, that gives them the out to, you know, kind of write him off if they need to. Right, because I think Harrison Ford only signed on for like one movie at a time. I yeah, because right. he wanted to look at the script first and make sure it was something that he wanted to do. Um, you know, whereas Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher had already signed on for the, the two sequels. Yeah. So when uh, Kazanjian was able to get Harrison back, you know, he, he went to George and he asked, you know, what are we going to do with this? And George just, you know, in George fashion just says, well, you know, basically we'll, we'll defrost him. <laughs> was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so as easy as that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But Harrison, you know, really wanted to, to die. Uh, he wanted to go out on a note of uh, self-sacrifice uh, to give everything that he had done some weight. You know, and later he remarked, you know, after he didn't uh, meet his end in Jedi, you know, there really wasn't room for dead Han toys. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a little, uh, there's a little jab at the uh, at the marketing, yeah, marketing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Harrison Ford. I mean, I feel like he, and maybe, maybe I've heard this somewhere that he kind of didn't think that Han Solo was a very I guess dynamic character, yeah. Um, and that right. he, he he could offer more as a character through his death, and you know he finally got his wish in, in the in the Force Awakens. Yeah. So I, maybe that was part of the agreement of him coming back <laughs> for that. <laughs> right. Uh, Charles Westcott in chat makes a good point. He says it's amazing to think that we and RFB and many others were living through all of this turmoil, and they had no idea. 
Yeah. Very yeah, stark it. difference to what happens today. We know everything that happens on that set and stuff that we, you know, doesn't happen on that set we hear about. Right. So I, I think what's interesting now is, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some themes that are being repeated with these productions and everything, you know, not everything was planned out. There were problems, there were disagreements, there were, you know, in, uh, Leak. We talked about leaks last time and all these things that seem mm-hmm. very unique to the sequel trilogy um, or, or even the mixed reaction Empire got at first, you know, um, or you're going to talk a little bit later about theories that fans. Yeah, yeah, with. right, right. Um, so I'm seeing all these. Yeah, those existed uh, back then. And so did leaks. Yeah, leaks were actually a big problem on this movie. Right. And I didn't I guess I never really thought that would be the case, you know, because mm-hmm. I wasn't around when all these films were in production and everything. Um, but it's interesting that they're actually quite similar. The other thing I was interested to learn that they were, they were actually fighting piracy back then too. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly yeah. in the form of, you know, someone taking a film reel, a reel and, and, you know, being able to copy it or redistribute it in some way. Uh, so piracy was a big thing back then, but so were leaks. Uh, uh, the book that I that I read, making of Star Wars, mentioned that there was a a screening for the MPAA at one point, and then they got their PG rating. But then after that, there was a magazine that published some some accurate leaks, along with some really inaccurate leaks, and, and George was pretty furious at that. Uh, and then I I didn't write this down. I should have wrote this down, but there was one story about a uh, an ILM employee, and I I can't remember which one it was walked into a screening later and was just kind of hanging out in the back. He didn't want to interrupt it, but he heard the uh, brother sister scene. You know, that was the one that happened to be playing. He heard that going on and he kind of gasped and and he said that George turned around and looked at him and, you know, he knew he was in trouble at that point. So George came in and he said, come in and sit down and sat down and George said, I will kill you. (laughs) I will kill you if this gets out. (laughs) And so, yeah, so he said he didn't tell anybody. He was very proud of himself for, you know, for keeping that secret because it was a big one. So, um, but yeah, uh, getting back to some characters and actors, Alec Guinness came back on for this. We know uh, he agreed to come back on in May twenty third of nineteen eighty. Later in his biography, he would say, "It's a rotten, dull little bit, but it would have been mean of me to refuse." <laughs> so, How you really uh, feel? Yeah, it would have been mean of me. I had to do it. I was being nice by coming back. Um, and then I'm later, not sure. He, I'm not sure why it's a rotten, dull little bit. <laughs> I actually quite uh, like that scene. <laughs> I know. Uh, George said said he didn't really like playing ghosts either. I think that was in the audio commentary track. But um, yeah. he also said later it was a <laughs> it was a dreary, boring job. But I liked the director and had nothing to do with any other actors. <laughs> Thank God, except Mark Hamill, who was pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> So he was a little cranky at this point, I think. Yeah, he was, yeah. Alan Webb was originally cast to play the Emperor, uh, but he got snowed in and then later came down with the flu, and he said he also felt that this part uh, was too big for him. And then he actually passed away in June of 1982, so, you know, uh, maybe kind of a good thing that this happened the way it did. uh, because. that Ian McDermott would come back to later play the character. Yeah, and that was one... Prequel Sin, Rise of Skywalker. 
and that was one thing that they talked about. You know, would it be better to have a young guy here, uh, which obviously would then have to do all the makeup and stuff, or would it be better to go with someone uh, like Alan Webb, who was a little older at the time, mm-hmm. um, right. that would maybe you know kind of fit that that part. But it, it worked out in the long term, like you said, because Ian McDermott stays around for you know yep. f- four more movies at this point. So, mm-hmm. uh, but. Ian says that he, you know, George sent a car to pick him up to come talk to him. They were in England at the time. Uh, so Ian said he talked to him for about 10 minutes and he said that their conversation was really inconsequential. They talked about life. You know, we, we talked about this back in Star Wars with casting a little bit. This is kind of how George, yeah. you know, does this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then he said that George even went and complimented Ian on his nose at one point. He liked his nose. <laughs> it's an iconic nose. <laughs> yeah. So. So just, you know, it's how these casting meetings go, I guess. Uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, she had some problems getting into this role, and I think this is kind of maybe where her differences with uh, Richard come in. Uh, she felt it was very different, and it was. Uh, she was starting to show love towards characters. She, you know, she wasn't as... Um, uh, demanding, I guess, you know, snarky, right. snappy type thing. Uh, her hair was down. She was wearing a dress. She said she felt like a Barbie doll, and, you know, that eventually got her insecure. Uh, she talks about the whole Jabba the Hut thing. She didn't, you know, she didn't have a dialogue through that whole thing. She just sat there uh, where normally yeah. she would have been defiant, um, but she was totally silent through that whole thing, you know. She She talked about that several times during the commentary I was listening to, you know, she just kept bringing it up, like (laughs) um, how she didn't really talk during the whole Jabba scene. Yeah. And then uh, she wanted to be the one to kill Jabba the Hutt. And and they even offered to give her like a double to, to do that whole thing. She said, Mm -hmm. no, I'm killing this thing. (laughs) So, (laughs) so so she didn't want anyone to do that for her. She wanted to put that to rest on her own. Yeah. Uh, Warwick Davis, uh, this is his first movie, and, you know, he he would be back later, so this is, you know, another one of those actors, characters that come back. Uh, Hamill called him just a breath of fresh air. He was so happy and so upbeat. Um, Warwick said it, for him, it was a magical thing walking into the studio and finding uh, 40 other people of similar proportions to him. Uh, and he said they just, they just bonded over being short, and they all got along really well. Uh, but for him, it was just like this, this magical event, you know, walking in and and, and seeing that, which is kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, some of the crew, this, I I thought this was hilarious. Some of the crew commented that they had to start knocking on doors because, you know, Warwick Davis and the crew, not necessarily him, uh, but they were getting very friendly with each other. And so they would have to make sure that oh. <laughs> they would have to kind of <laughs> knock on the door before they started going into rooms. <laughs> they definitely formed some connections there. On yeah. The- yeah. Uh, and then we know the St- Sebastian Stan uh, came in. They were actually looking for uh, Mark Rand was, was looking for like one of those iconic Shakespearean actors uh, George kind of felt like they didn't want anybody like super well known because it would be kind of weird taking off the helmet to, to see that face. Uh, but they ended up going with Sebastian Stan. He auditioned for this role of quote unquote dad. And he was later cast as quote unquote the man. So you know, kind of a, a the man behind the mask. Yeah. Kind of a, a, a secret keeping thing. 
and uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. Uh, but related to that, though, uh, David Prowse, relations with him were you know, kind of strained for years. Uh, we talked last week about how he was kind of the uh, the guy that spoiled a lot of things back then. And when it came time to sign his contract, he didn't like that there was really no negotiating with Lucasfilm. Uh, they, you know, they could just get someone else to put in the suit. Uh, you know, with James Earl Jones doing the voice, they could pretty easily re- replace David Browse. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of negotiating uh, for him, which was a little upsetting for him. He was particularly upset about having Sebastian Stan come in and play his death scene after he was playing Vader for you know seven years. He expected he would be the one to get unmasked, uh, that that would be him underneath that. And he actually went into an interview uh, with a, a newspaper or magazine. I forget which one, which it was back then. But he went into an interview, and, and the interviewer actually kind of dropped that bomb on him that Sebastian Stan was was coming in playing that part of the role. Uh, and he said, "No, is that it wouldn't. Sebastian Stan or Sebastian Shaw?" Shaw, sorry, uh, sorry. I think Sebastian Stan is who yep. the, the Winter Soldier. We want to play yeah. a younger version of Luke. Yeah, it's Sebastian Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought so. my bad. That's all right. Yeah, RFB says Shaw. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right, Dale. I think it was Variety. Dale Ehrman uh, in chat says Variety. I think I think you're right. I think it was someone with Variety sat down with him and then in that interview dropped that bomb that that Shaw would come in and and do that role and you know he thought that was just ludicrous, uh, but that's what happened. Yeah. You know. Right. Uh, and then he was also another one that didn't really get along with Mark and uh, Mark and. Um, he felt that he was never really allowed to get close to him. He felt that he wasn't getting uh, the direction, kind of like Carrie. He wasn't getting good direction from him. Uh, and then he would actually say his lines as Vader much too fast. You know how you know James Earl Jones is a little, you know, it's definitely a different voice, but it's it's slower, it's more deliberate. You know, and Prowse wouldn't say his lines like that. Uh, Ian McDermott, knowing that, would have to listen and, and learn Prowse's lines also so that he could imagine how it would sound in the finished film uh, so that he could take that into account when he was doing his acting. Uh, you know, so yeah, interesting stuff there on David Prowse. I I didn't know a lot of this stuff about David Prowse back then, you know, uh, but yeah, me neither. There were a lot of there was a lot of comments so that he was a little bit difficult to work with and and things of that nature. So sounds, sounds that way. Yeah, uh, but getting back to that secrecy aspect, uh, I saw RFB in chat mentioned this a while ago, um, but they went through they jumped through a few hoops to keep stuff secret. The film was given fake names along the way. Uh, most notably, like RFB mentioned, was uh, Blue Harvest. Uh, they even gave that movie a release date of Halloween 1983 and a tagline of Horror Beyond Imagination. And they used this for the, for the set in Yuma, Arizona, uh, where the sail barge stuff would be filmed. Uh, you know, yeah. later when actors started coming in, it was a little harder to keep that under wraps. And then it got known that that was, you know, the the, the Star Wars set. And so the you new know, people would start coming out. Yeah, you know, I remember at the beginning of um, the Skywalker Saga documentary, they have that footage of the fans hanging out around the fence, try to get a mm-hmm. glimpse of it, try to get an autograph or something. So, 
Yeah, I'm, so, I'm yeah. wondering if um if this is why like the sequel trilogy and solo they they all have kind of those secret names or if just production names or if that's something that happens across all films i'm not really sure but you know like solo being called red cup or whatever and Mm -hmm. um, episode nine was like trixie i think um space bear or something was the last jedi um okay yeah i mean i don't know if it's just paying homage to that or if it's just something that all films do is just have kind of a you know production name or whatever for it right right you know, uh, uh, pages containing in, in the script, pages containing major plot moments were kind of kept from the actors. They would have these what they would call blue sheets, uh, which were kind of like the, like the major plot points that happened in those sheets. Uh, they would have the blue sheets. Those would come out the day that they would film. Uh, they would give to them. They would give those to them before shooting. Anyone that could read the script were only allowed to do so in a locked room and could only do that for two hours. And then they were kicked out. Uh, so it was, it was pretty, it, it, stuff was really on yeah. lockdown, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then you mentioned speculation before and, you know, secrecy leads to speculation and that's kind of, you know, what happens here. Uh, the Star Wars fan club, uh, which was getting pretty large at that time, uh, the staff of that fan club received tons of letters and they actually ended up ranking some of the fan theories, uh, which included, uh, in no particular order that I'm aware of here, uh, included Vader killing Luke, Luke turning to the dark side, Luke killing Vader, Han being rescued, but then later dying, the Emperor killing Luke, Boba Fett being unmasked, and Boba Fett being a woman, Luke's father, or Luke's mother. Interesting. And I'm sure that everyone was really happy with how Boba Fett was unmasked. Yeah. Because he <laughs> he made a major impact in these movies. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just falls into the Sarlacc pit, basically yeah. by accident. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I think it's it's like, you know, as fans, we theorize. You know, we, yeah, we, and, it's just what it is, yeah. And some things we, we speculate on, we make a, a huge deal out of, and then when we see the movie, the, you know, it turns out it wasn't really a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, sometimes we can inflate these things to the point where, you know, they can't meet our expectations, you know? Right. Uh, so, you know, some of those major questions that were still lingering, you know, was Vader really Luke's father? You know, that was still a major question. Was he lying? Was he yeah. telling the truth? Was, you know, was that for real who was the other one you know that yoda mentions um uh, rfbs in chat he says a lot of speculation in uh, letters to the editor and magazines back then uh crazy stuff and then same as these days it's a good point yeah you know yeah. we're not too far removed from all that even though we think we are right uh but then who was the other one uh, that yoda mentions was it uh leia han boba fett uh was did Luke have a father, mother, sibling out there somewhere? Wedge uh, was theorized as maybe being uh, another the one. Another Skywalker. Yep. Uh, and then you know, some of the more fun theories I came across uh, was Vader a clone of Luke's father? <laughs> so 
that clone theory was alive and well back then. <laughs> that that blows my mind. You know, I know that we're still doing that, and we're still thinking yeah. we're we're so original. You know, <laughs> right. um, you know, is Ray a clone? Uh, uh-huh. We're not original at all. <laughs> this no. has all been done before, as, as it turns out. Uh, who is Luke's mother? How will Luke get a new lightsaber? Uh, w- uh, why did Ben lie? And will Luke see Vader's face? Mm. So those are some big questions too. Yeah. Uh, the creatures. Robert Watts talks about creatures, and he says that they're actually terribly difficult because you're breaking new ground each time on it on each new creation. You know, which is yeah. Uh, pretty cool to think about because it's not something I thought about before. You know, uh, each time you do a new creature, how does that thing move? Does it make sounds? You know, uh, how is how are you how are you going to bring it to life? Even is it going to be a guy in a suit? Is it going to be stop motion? Is it going to be a puppet? Is it going to be any of these other things? Um, and then each time you do that, you have to you know, like like you said, you're breaking new ground. You're bringing new life to something brand new. So. Uh, This was the creature movie in the trilogy. A New Hope had a decent amount uh, that went down in Empire. And then it was very prevalent in this to the fact that the monster shop bill at the end of the movie totaled uh, $1,188,969 and change. So a substantial budget on creatures. And when you think about it, I mean, you have the whole scene with Jabba. You know, uh, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Ewoks. You had nine numb. Uh, you know, there's tons of creatures yeah, in this movie. For sure. So, I pulled this quote out, and I, I, I thought we could probably discuss this a little bit. Kazanjan uh, questioned George Lucas on having Anakin appear at the end. Uh, he, he said he went up to him and he said, you know, why? This guy, he's like Hitler. He's killed. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? <laughs> it does um, sound very familiar. He's done all of these terrible things, and now we're saying he's equal with Yoda and Obi-Wan as if he's gone to heaven or whatever. And George, George pointed at me. He was real close, and he says, isn't that what your religion is all about? And boy, that was like being slapped on the side of the face because yes, it is what my religion is all about and obviously his, but I hadn't thought that through. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, so that goes but to the redemption you know? theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, Christianity, if, if that's the religion that he's referring to, um, it, it is very much about how, you know, all all of your sins can be forgiven if if you repent and turn away from those ways and ask for forgiveness. You know, um, yeah. So it's yeah. pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, and then you know, it hit me too because like we're we're still grappling gra- grappling with that, and mm-hmm. we talk about Kylo Ren. How can that? be redeemed how you know we compare him to hitler we compare you know the space nazi type thing um you know but and and that would have been interesting before too because you know vader was like the villain in movies you know back then and he was iconic and yeah to redeem him at the end bad guy right Mm -hmm. to redeem him Mm -hmm. at the end uh 
was an interesting it was it was a great choice i love it uh but it would would have been very interesting to be part of that you know mm-hmm. um and i think it, it ties back into the conversation about kylo ren and, and his his redemption as well and yeah definitely um, yeah and i mean I, I think it all ties into kind of and i don't want to get too controversial here or anything um but you know just the way our culture is right now we tend to be you know less and less forgiving i think of 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 people making mistakes and um and kind of pointing those those out so yeah it's just an interesting thought about you know this is what your religion is all about you know if if you if you're a believer yeah and like uh the point was made in the book that i read that star wars wasn't really meant to be religious in any specific way you know Right, but, but there was all those themes mm-hmm. that that recur, and you know that right. being one of them, redemption, um, mm-hmm. you know, forgiveness, that type yep. of stuff. So apparently, we haven't learned a whole lot in the last thirty, forty years, <laughs> unfortunately. Sense. So, but anyway, uh, we mentioned Yuma, Arizona. That was the sail barge. I didn't know this, but this was actually one of possibly one of the largest on location sets in movie history at that time uh at 130 feet wide 150 feet long 65 feet high beneath it it actually housed the offices and 150 seat commissary that that could fit underneath that thing wow spent a total of 2.5 million dollars on what amounted to a two and a half minute scene Mm -hmm. and uh the Sarlacc pit was actually a magnet for injuries, you know, with the stunt people that were falling down into that thing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the crew were saying that they would just, they were just kind of carting away stuntmen constantly because they would fall in and sprain something or, you know, God forbid, break mm-hmm. something, you know, something like that. So the, the, the Sarlacc pit was kind of a nightmare uh, for, for doubles and for stuntmen. So. Right. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad they put the the money they did into all this because I it's one I, I love that the whole scene, you know I, I love the whole sail barge scene with um, the Sarlacc pit and everything and and you know the lightsaber shooting out of R two D two and and Luke, you know, catching it and everything and just I love all that stuff and the music as well, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a great scene. And then we all know the other major location in the U.S. that they filmed was uh, Crescent City uh, with all the, the redwoods and the forest. Uh, the indoor bike chase was actually originally going to be done with miniatures, uh, but that wasn't going to work. And then they went with a, st- a Steadicam uh, vehicle rig uh, that they filmed, uh, especially at a special frame rates and timings so that it looked like that scene was moving at like 100 and I think it said like 120 miles an hour or something of that, mm-hmm. of that nature. So, yeah. Uh, but getting into the editing process, Dennis Muren said that they were all burned out coming into Jedi. Uh, ILM was burnt out having done empire poltergeist ET star Trek two dragon slayer uh, Raiders. He said that I. He said I remember not being terribly interested in doing it. I was just so burned out. Um, similarly, similarly, uh, Lucas uh, along the line said, uh, you know, I'm only doing this because I started it, and now I have to finish it. The next trilogy will be all someone else's vision. <laughs> yeah, we all saw how that turned out with him actually doing all the directing, yep. um, <clears throat> and everything. 
So. You know, but at the time it was, you know, pretty well talked about that there was going to be more after that. You know, the whole nine movie thing was, was alive at that point. You know, that was a possibility where there was going to be, you know, another trilogy that was going to be kind of focused on Luke and, and, and all those main characters again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's going to be another trilogy that was going to be pretty different than, than stuff uh, that they had done before. So, you know, he... he yeah, it's, it seems like you know sometimes you just need a break you know because anybody yeah. can experience like burnout from when you're putting that much time and energy into something and sometimes you just have to step away from it for a while and then and then come back later and and, and do it again you know yeah yeah definitely um mark and was kind of really given the reins to put together the first cut of the movie and he took it over to George's house to to screen that first cut when he was done with it. And he said, you know, here it is. This is as good as it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after the screening, George kind of took over at a much d- deeper level at that point. It wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas said that, you know, the first cut on a film is never wonderful. It's never good. It's just the tradition. It's always horrible. And you live through that first cut and then you fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jedi really went through a lot of editing uh, and a lot of last minute editing. Uh, you know, there were scenes that were cut out towards the towards the very end of the process, you know, getting bent down to crunch time. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. I would have been very interested to see this, but there were scenes, you know, with Luke uh, fixing his lightsaber. Uh, create, well, making his new lightsaber, not really fixing it. Yeah, I was always int- interested in that scene. And yeah. It, it would be cool if it was... And, th- and that scene was actually shown uh, on some of the uh, like the the pre-release stuff and the advanced screenings and you know some benefit stuff mm-hmm. that they did. Mm-hmm. And it was cut out after that. So, I mean, it was really late in the game when that scene was cut out. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it was there on some of the advanced screenings of the movie. So, uh, George ended up being noticeably absent through parts of post-production uh so much so that the crew started to notice you know he was always very hands-on during star wars of course but then during empire mm-hmm. as well and then they started to notice he just wasn't there as much anymore uh but he actually revealed at some point that that was when he was going through his divorce with Marsha, his first wife at that point he said he just was extremely depressed uh mm-hmm. you know he he finished that trilogy in a poor state of mind he was you know, mentally not with it, not there. Uh, so it was a very, it was a very tough time for him. You know, he mentioned over and over that he had done this stuff for 10 years and, you know, going back to 73 when he started writing this stuff and then to finish it kind of on that state of mind is a little bit of a bummer, uh, for him Yeah, for sure. But, uh, the other, the other, really well-known story is about revenge of the jedi so for much of this movie oh yeah for much of this movie it was revenge of the jedi and it wasn't really even until november of 82 uh, where george had used a, a research and marketing firm to look at the titles and they replaced jedi here but they had them look at the titles revenge of the hero versus return of the hero the consensus from that firm came back that uh, revenge didn't quite fit with the image of the hero, you know, right. uh, but they didn't even at that point in November take action yet. 
it wasn't until December of 18th, December 18th of 82, you know, we're six months before the start of the, the release of this movie. Yeah. George at that point decided to change it to return. Uh, but there were, you know, there's multiple licenses out there in the middle of making products. Mm-hmm. Kenner had to destroy about $250,000 worth of packaging. <laughs> wow. Um, it, 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 it caused some issues, but you know, Revenge didn't fit the Jedi image, so we had to go with no, Return. It, it, it really doesn't. You know, I, I don't. I don't think it would. I think it was the right decision was made to go with Return. Yeah, Revenge is not a Jedi thing. And know? there were sentiments out there that the Revenge was the better title. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it it depicts more action. It depicts you know more excitement, that type of thing. Yeah, but he does come around and get to use Revenge. And later on, later on with Re- yep. Revenge of the Sith, which is more fitting. Yep. Uh, the film, when it came out, critics uh, were pretty split on it. Negative reviews centered on the acting and directing uh, as being subpar. Lucas, I, I love this quote. George Lucas said, uh, you know, that people are going uh People are going to like it and enjoy themselves. You get trashed a lot for doing that, but ultimately you have to figure out what's more important, having a lot of people be happy and enjoying themselves and get their money's worth or having a handful of critics fawn over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? uh, so I, I love that quote. I thought that was really, uh, really insightful, um, you know, because critics may have been split on this, but mm-hmm. the lines to get in the demand for this movie was even even greater than Empire in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, yeah. people camp you know camping out, getting in lines early. Uh, There's one story about a a uh, theater in San Diego that had some projector problems, and the projector broke down, and actually it got you know to near riot levels of anger about the projector breaking down. Yeah. Um, I I believe it was Kazanjin uh, talked about a, a screening that he went to, you know, where it was just loud and 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 rowdy in the theater, and then when the Fox mm-hmm. Fanfare came on, it was louder and you know more excitement, yeah. and then when the title came up, it was dead silent. Everyone was sitting in their seats totally mm-hmm. hanging on to everything and just Ready soaking it all it in, in. Yeah. yeah yeah so you know that's really the difference there between pleasing the critics and then giving something that the people are paying for this movie are going to be excited about yeah absolutely i mean i i think sometimes i you know sometimes i agree with critics about certain films and sometimes i disagree you know i think it all comes down to your personal Mm-hmm. taste and your personal opinion um but yeah i mean uh, it, it just when you go into to making a film i think you can make a film that is a quality film that also fans will enjoy i think you can do both you know yeah I mean? sure yeah um, you know but i think it just all comes down to your personal opinion about it you know that's what matters and and I, I I I tied this personally in my own head uh, to 
to um, Rise of Skywalker, where I just had a mm. blast in that movie. And I know mm. not everyone did, and that's fine if you didn't. Right. But I had a blast right. in that movie because it was mm. fun for me, you know? Uh, yeah. The stuff that I saw just, just got me excited again, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, tying up the, the trilogy and the saga in that way, it was just it was just a lot of fun. And that's what I appreciated so much about that movie. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, let's go with some numbers here. So it set the new single day record for largest, largest opening day gross at $6,219,629. The week of May 25th, it made $45,311,000. The old record for that week was 25 million set by ET. So it, it blew past that by $20 million. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the following week, June first, it made another thirty million dollars, thirty million five hundred eighty-five thousand uh, dollars. I found some market polls uh, that were conducted at that time, which were pretty interesting. Sixty percent, over sixty percent, thought it was better than Empire. Ninety percent hmm. rated it very good to excellent, and eighty mm-hmm. percent said that they would re- recommend it to their friends. Yeah, that's pretty um, high praise. I'm interested to see why 10% that thought it was good to excellent wouldn't recommend it to their friends. Yeah. Right, right. Think about it that way, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, the actors' receptions were a little interesting here. Uh, Mark Hamill said that watching Jedi was like finding your old high school yearbook up in the attic. I couldn't really relate to it. I really felt outside the whole thing. It was a sad feeling in a way because uh, it was a part of my life that's now over. Yeah. Harrison Ford, of course, uh, says, I'm glad I did all three of them. I'm glad it brought itself to a natural conclusion, but three is enough for me. I was glad to see that costume for the last time. I don't think it had a very successful ending with that teddy bear picnic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i love yeah, Harrison. I mean, <laughs> a lot of controversy <laughs> about those ewoks yeah um and then fisher said that she thought that was the weakest one you know so interesting stuff her, there about the teddy bear picnic oh yeah definitely uh about the character later on yeah yeah definitely um about the teddy bear picnic, did you know that the Yub Nub song has lyrics? No, I didn't. <laughs> it, <laughs> it does. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can even bring them up fast enough uh, to to talk about on the show. Right, maybe what? We'll but save it, that one. but uh, we'll we'll tweet that out later. Um, yeah, in the chat saying Dale Urban says killer teddy bears. RFB mm-hmm. says murder bears, some of them people call them. And yeah, Charles definitely ima- imagine those comments today. So interesting. Yeah. Uh but yeah, maybe I'll tweet out the lyrics to uh Yub Nub. And uh okay. and also Sounds uh, S- uh Cy Snoodle's song has lyrics too. Nice. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's coming back around to the, some of the merchandising stuff. Lucas, you know, we all talk about mur- about the uh, I almost said murder bears, but the Ewoks. Uh, we talk about them being, you know, a merchandising thing. And he said, mm-hmm. Lucas said he just wanted he wanted a soft uh, plush Ewok for his daughter. Uh, 
merchandisers were kind of reluctant to go along with that. It wasn't something that they thought that, you know, the boys would want to necessarily play with. And it, they didn't think that it would appeal to girls either. So it was kind of stuck in the middle there. Uh, but George later said, you know, I want my daughter to have one. That's what I care about. Nobody else wants one. That's fine with me. A lot of people are going to be offended by Ewoks. A lot of people say the films are just an excuse for merchandising. You know, Lucas just won. Lucas decided to cash in on that teddy bear. He says it's not a great thing to cash in on because there are lots of teddy bears marketed, so you don't have anything unique. If I were designing something original as a market item, I could do a lot better. Again, people tend to look at merchandising as an evil thing. But ultimately, a lot of fun things come out of it. And at the same time, it pays overhead of the company and everybody's salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Which is a good way of looking at it. I mean, you know, we, we as fans also criticize the merchandising, but then we collect action figures yeah. and yeah, Funko Pops and, you know, things like that. You know, that's what this is. Yeah, I mean, my I guess my argument would be like, and I'm not saying that this is what George Lucas did at all, but like, um, I don't think you want to create things, put things into your movie or into your story just because of marketing and 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 selling toys and stuff. Like, right. I, I think you it, it always has to be story first and plot first, and then from what you created, then you can you know sell some of those things, but. That's just the way I look at it. Yeah. And, you know, going back to going to what you said about about uh, story, you know, the Ewoks had a, had a purpose. And, you know, that was, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and I know you weren't saying that 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 George did that with the Ewoks. No, you know, no. But but they were in there to to make a point, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the and I think the point being that, you know, even sometimes the most unlikely creatures can fight and overthrow an empire, you know? Right. Um, yeah. You know, they're fighting with much more natural means, the, em- the emperor, the empire, they have all this technology and these blasters and these armored vehicles and everything. And, and the Ewoks have sharpened sticks and um, logs and <laughs> rope and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, the final budget for this movie ended up at, Forty-two million six hundred seventy-five thousand thirty-eight dollars. Uh, after re-releases and etc., it actually brought in over two hundred and fifty million. And the estimates back then would were that it would only need about one hundred and fifteen million to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, now I said only, but you know, even at that point, at that time, not a lot of movies made one hundred and fifteen million. One hundred and fifteen right. million dollars. Uh, so it was still a big number, uh, but it mm-hmm. definitely met that. And then, you know, kind of finishing this up, Lucas had on his calendar to retire August 1st of 83. He said he was definitely taking two years off. He wanted to do nothing but raise his daughter and maybe race cars again. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned before he 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 talked about how this started in eighty well seventy three for him. It was a ten year thing, and uh, you know just to kind of get to the end of that story was a relief. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of things happening in his personal life too that we talked about. So you know, 
we talked about people at ILM being burned out. I think that was probably probably the case there too. Uh, but yeah. he was, you know, talking retirement and talking taking two years off and, and things like that. And he did within that two years, he did do some producing on things like the Ewok uh, animated show, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, interestingly, in eighty, I think it was like eighty five, eighty six, he started working with Disney and uh, Francis Ford Coppola on Captain EO uh, for the Disney parks. Uh, so, you know, he was, he was doing stuff again for sure. And he was producing stuff, but, um, you know, as far as star Wars goes, we know that he wouldn't touch that in a major way uh, again until, until the nineties. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious uh, and how this ties into the present time with star Wars kind of being on a break right now, especially when it comes to films. Um, we know that Disney plus is going to feature a lot of live action shows and everything. I'm wondering what the reaction will be, you know, and everybody says, you know, Star Wars, sometimes you need to take a break from it, um, you know, for several years and, and, and then release some more films. I'm wondering what the fan reaction will be to the, the newest films that are going to come out a few years down the road um, a- after, you know, just after this years after the sequel trilogy um, ended and everything. I'm just, I'm curious to see what the reception will be of Star Wars overall at that yeah. point. Well, by that point, we'll be on show number 150 or something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, we'll see. But that really wraps up. Uh, thank the Maker for Return of the Jedi. Uh, and stay tuned uh, for the ending of the show. We're going to talk about what's on the plate for from a certain point of view over the next couple of weeks. I'm just glad you're here at the end. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to chat today. We appreciate everyone stopping in. Uh, People I saw in chat were uh, Foxman150, Dale Erdman, Charles Westcott from Conversations, Cam Ray, Rural Farm Boy, Megan Rickards from the from an autistic point of view blog, Alberto from radio rebellion, Stephen Miller, Vader's girl. You might know her as cat. Uh, Mr. Rez force of light entertainment and Michael from two med Two. Thank you everyone for coming along. Uh, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher. Make sure you leave reviews Those help us, you know, not just get out to more people, but they also help us know, you know, uh, what we can do better, what you want to see more of. So just remember to jump on iTunes and leave a review. We're also on Podchaser. You can do it there too. And speaking of reviews, we have a giveaway winner that we can announce. Uh, our Galaxy's Edge vinyl giveaway ended yesterday, and Stephen Miller won that. So uh, congratulations to Stephen Miller. He's hanging around with us for a while. So it was good to see him get... Congratulations. Yeah. That is an awesome, awesome prize right there. Good to see Stephen getting that prize. Uh, I promised some programming updates. So next week, we're going to be doing part two of uh, the psychology of Anakin Skywalker. Uh, that's going to be live here on YouTube at 2 p.m. Uh, the weekend of the 29th, uh, we're going to start a little uh, live YouTube break. So uh, 
the 29th. And the other thing about that weekend is that's also Force Fest weekend, which I'll be helping with a little bit. And that's also going to be a pretty big draw for live stuff. So we're going to record that show and then put it out on on Sunday, regular podcast form. And then uh, September 5th through the 12th, uh, Josh is taking a vacation. He'll actually be down in Galaxy's Edge, hopefully. Uh, so we're going to not do live shows on the 5th and 12th, but the podcast is going on. Uh, we're going to be releasing the regular podcast at its normally scheduled time. And we're going to have some, uh, recorded segments that we can release on the podcast, uh, normally. So you can expect normal shows, even though, uh, the live YouTube show is going to be taking a little bit of a break and then coming back after all that stuff. So, well, you know, just like George Lucas needed a break, sometimes we need a break as well. And, and we won't be complete, <laughs> completely stepping away from, no, from, no, they, we'll still have content out there for you guys. And yeah, um, yeah. Come back, come back fresh for the live shows. And, yep. Uh, you know, yep. The podcast so. isn't going anywhere. It's same time, same place. Uh, the, the live YouTube show will be back after uh, vacation. So, uh, we won't take a two-year break like George said he would. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I'm also uh, hoping uh, to maybe you know film some things or record some things while I'm in Galaxy's cool. Edge and and, uh, and and share it to our YouTube channel and everything. So hey, um, that'd be cool yeah. content meeting on the air. This is yes, awesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. Remember to check out the website from a certain point of view dot com. Uh, there's blog articles there, including uh, one that Josh wrote this week, uh, which is what he would uh, have done if he wrote the sequel trilogy. So check that out. Our socials are Twitter at uh, certain POV pod. Facebook is from a certain point of view. Discord server uh, links for that are in the show notes and on the website. We've been having a lot of fun in Discord lately, especially in that memes and gifts channel. It's been a a lot of fun. So make sure that you uh, make sure that you join that Discord server and hang out with us too. Uh, email is certainpovpod at gmail dot com. And anchor.fm is where we host our shows. You can send us a sixty second voicemail. You can ask us any questions, put in your comments about Return of the Jedi or any of our past shows. If you're going through the past shows, skip the early ones. Those ones aren't too great. Uh, but remember to check out Red 5 Network also. Uh, we are only one part of the Red 5 Network. There are a ton of great shows on that network uh, about everything from not just Star Wars to anything else. Um Check out red5network.com for all those shows. You can find me on Twitter at thegauze85, talking about whatever else it is I talk about. And Josh, they can find you at? You can find me on Twitter at JediJarJar1722. Awesome. And, you know, it's it's been another great show, Adam. I'm, I'm so glad that... Um, we could talk about Return of the Jedi, which I know is your favorite Star Wars film, um, my second favorite. And it was great to have everybody hanging out with us in the chat. Thank you for all of your support out there. Um, continue listening. Keep an eye out for our weekly poll and everything that Adam mentioned that's coming down the wire here on From a Certain Point of View. And until then, remember that everything we said today was true. From a Certain Point of View.